Well, we are almost ready to put a wrap on 214. Isn't that amazing? I don't know about you, but that year went by like a blink, and I am stunned that it's over and we're already rolling into 215. For some of us, we're very excited about 215. Uh, just a chance to start over and go at it again. Some fair amount of anxiety going into 215. What will the year bring about? Uh, some of us, uh, maybe with some form of sadness, saying goodbye to 214 because it was such a great year. And for some of us, probably glad to get out of the year, right? And, and move on to the next. So the change of year provides a, a lot of uh, different kinds of scenarios. But this morning, what we're going to talk about is... Uh, God's lasting presence with us and uh, how he promises to stay with us during the course of the year. Just want to give you a heads up. We went through, here's the series we've gone through. Um, If you're new or visiting this morning, you can go on our website. You can download, you can look at it. Um, But on the 7th, we talked about no presence. We talked about the intertestament period, uh, 400 years between uh, Malachi and Matthew. And all the stuff that was going on during there. And then on the 14th, we talked about the surprise presence, how God's presence back then and today so it still surprises people. And then the 21st, messy presence. And that one resonated with a lot of you because a lot of you came back to me and said, it has been messy and it is good that God's in it. And we, we can relate to that. And then on Christmas Eve, uh, we had his presence and... Uh, and by the way, John and Katie, hi, welcome back. Okay, uh, John and Katie are back, and that is Levi with them, and uh, Simon, Simon, there we go. Got my babies mixed up, Simon. And Simon startled Grandma on the porch steps, so that was really good. And um, they're back. John has taken a professorship at Notre Dame, so we now have a professor among us, so that's very cool. Yeah, give them a hand. That's very cool. And in case you don't understand all this, you're new to Norfew, he was one of the kids in youth group back in the day, all right? So, and Katie and John, so now they're adults. So it's very good to have them as adults back. But we talked about his presence. We talked on Christmas Eve. Boy, and if you weren't here, beautiful service. It just uh, We had 170 in the first service, 170 in the second, 140 in the third. So really full house. It was really exciting. Great service. I I probably haven't had that much fun. Somebody said, aren't you tired doing three? I said, no, you don't understand. I get to do three. I get to hear those songs all over again. It was a wonderful night. Uh, And so this morning we're going to talk about lasting presence. And then next Sunday we're going to talk about cultivating presence. There is a need to cultivate presence with God. And we're going to spend some time talking about that. But we had a great time celebrating Jesus' birthday on Thursday. And uh, like any infant, uh, for Jesus, now the process of life would begin and that life would affect all of history, both then and now. And we are walking in that. We are talking about a presence that will not go away. And as a matter of fact, it's both enormous uh, and a comfort and a terrible threat all at the same time depending on which side of the equation you're on with Jesus. Uh, Simeon's prophecy that this baby would be the cause for the rise and fall of many in Israel and in the world would prove to be very true. For those who love him, an enormous comfort and hope amid the afflictions and sufferings of life. 
For those who resist and oppose Him, the threat of His return is a fearful proposition. And our world fights it with a vengeance. So it's with this in mind that we enter into today's dialogue about not just Jesus' entrance, but His lasting presence. So would you join me in prayer? Father, as we have gathered here this morning, we are a relaxed bunch. We're very grateful. We've had some fabulous days off. We've had a wonderful time celebrating the anniversary of your birth. It has been a great season of joy and uh, lots of fun. And Lord, as we move on, as we head into a new year, it brings with it all that a new year brings. And it brings much that is known and much that will be unknown. For the future is yours, it is not ours. And we will need to walk by faith in 2.15, just like we did in 2.14. And so we seek your heart as we walk through this about your presence with us and among us because we need it desperately. And we ask for this in your name. Amen. All right. So the idea I wanted to, to walk through this morning is the idea of lasting presence. Because I think one of the questions that we have to wrestle with is, is, is God's presence among us today, right? 2.15, that's a long time ago, right? That's when you think back to the birth of Christ. Um, and this scripture sets the stage here for thinking about that together. It says, as a deer pants for flowing stream, so pants my soul for you, O Lord. Uh, we won't get that very much because we live on western Washington and uh, deer can drink wherever they and whenever they want to. But if you go over to eastern Washington or the desert, you can actually track animals according to where the water holes are. And when it's really hot, you can actually see deer with their tongues hanging out because they can't get water and they're looking for water. So when it talks about this, it's literally describing something that uh, they were very familiar with in the desert of Judea and uh, what they worked with. He says, but as animals have a thirst for water in the desert, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food all day and night while they say to me all day long, where is your God? And I think that's the key question as we go into 215. There'll be a challenge of, hey, where's your God? Listen to the rest of it in Psalm 42. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you within? Why are you in turmoil within me? It's an agitated state this person's in. By day the Lord commands His steadfast love, and at night His song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my Rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? You say you believe in God, where is he? Right? It's, it's a taunt that has come down through history. It's one that uh, every generation has been familiar with. Where is your God? It is a question that has literally rattled down through the ages. And the danger to that question uh, can become the fact that it can become our question, right? Because we can start to be filled with doubt and start asking the question, where is our God? And their question can become our question. Let's see if I get there. There we go. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? 
Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony. In other words, this is not an external thing. This is talking about people of faith who watch what's going on in the world and it affects them, it hits them internally. Right? It says, my bones are in mortal agony. In other words, my, my soul, my heart's in anguish. As I watch what's going on, as I watch the culture taunting, my God, I'm going, why have God, why does it seem like you don't answer? Where are you? Why don't you answer my prayers? This is what the psalmist is wrestling with. Saying to me, all day long, foes are taunting, where is your God? I, and I want to suggest this morning, I gave this some thought. And I thought, there's three, I think, deadly forms of this question that uh, that affect us, that, that um, we wrestle with ourselves. And I, and I want to walk through them this morning with you, see if it makes sense to you. The first one is uh, mocking. Okay, It says... Um, And then uh, the second one is discrepancy. I couldn't find the right word for that, right? So you're going to go, what's discrepancy? I'll I'll explain it to you and then it'll make sense. And if you can come up with a better word, I'll use it for second service. (laughs) All right. And then the third was uh, silence. Clicker's not right. There we go. Okay. Let's let's look at those each uh, in, in one. There we go. Mocking. It says, all who see me mock me, they make mouths at me, they wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. This is Psalm 22, and obviously this is a prophecy and a psalm about Jesus himself. But the truth is, none of us do well when we're mocked. How well do you do when somebody mocks you? Because mocking by nature is an affront to our, your dignity, my dignity, somebody else's dignity. It goes after core value of our self-worth. And so when somebody mocks us and makes fun of us, um, we don't do well. We don't do well if we're made fun of. Today the word for that is called bullying. Or jeered or ridiculed. You ever been in a workplace and you've been ridiculed? How well does that go over? Right? Or you've ever been at home and you've been ridiculed? That doesn't, it doesn't go over. We wrestle with that hard. But when we're mocked, what does that feel like? It takes the form of, you're stupid. You actually believe that? How dumb could you be? Pity, you don't have a brain. Thinking people left that a long time ago. You ever heard that one? Right? And, and it, your, your intelligence is uh, put at risk in that statement. Why are you hoping for something that isn't there? Just Why don't you just get over it, recognize there's really nothing or nobody there, and it's just life, just do life because that's what you've got. Right? How it comes across. God, you're, you're God your God's no different than your children's imaginary friend. You know, maybe that's a comfort to you. Maybe you need that crutch in life, but uh, an intelligent person really doesn't need that. Once you've arrived and understood that, though, that kind of jeering comes across as he, she trusts in God. Ha! Huh. Well, then let God deliver him. Right? There's that kind of challenge to it. The second one, discrepancy. Uh, and it's not working. There we go. 
Discrepancy, the, the, what discrepancy is, is if we put it in English the way we'd understand it, it's not fair. Okay? There's a discrepancy between what I believe and what I see happening, and sometimes what I see happening, I look at God and say, God, that is not fair. That's not right. Evil people seem to be getting ahead, and, and good people seem to be falling behind, and this is not lining up the way I read it in your word, and there's this huge discrepancy I wrestle with. Because there's a strong sense, if I do it right, I will get ahead. Right? Since we were children, what do your parents say? If it's worth doing, do it right. See, you, you came to that, right? If it's worth doing, do it well. Because if you do it well, it's in your careers and those kind of things, you know how you need to know how to finish. You need how to know how to do it well. And so if you it's worth doing, do it right. I mean, I, that was a mantra when I grew up. Right? And I think there's great strength to it. But it becomes enormously irritating when I see others sinning or blatantly ignoring God. And not only does there not seem to be any consequences, but they actually seem to be getting ahead. And the key caveat in that is they seem to be getting ahead of me. Just being honest, right? It's not so much that they're getting ahead, it's that they're getting ahead of me. And this, God, I did it your way. God, I was faithful. God, I, I did things right. And I seem to be suffering, and they seem to be getting ahead. This is really frustrating to me. Psalm 73, if you're not familiar with Psalm 73, is a fantastic reflection on this. And we can't spend a whole uh, morning on it, but I just want to dip into it a little bit and read it to you. Uh, If you have it, you can turn there. But the psalmist says this, truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. In other words, I had almost fallen off the path of faith. I just about chucked it. I just about let it go. Putting some English to it, right? For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Stop, pause. Listen to that. I was, what's the word there? Envious. That's an internal thing. It doesn't show up externally. I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. What's an arrogant person? An arrogant person says, I don't need God. I will create what I need and my wealth by, by my own bootstraps. Um, I don't need help. I will create it myself. And we say, oh, a person like that's destined to fall. But in the meantime, they seem to prosper pretty well. The prosperity of the wicked. And he goes on to reflect on this. He says, they don't have any pangs until death. In other words, they live a healthy life. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. Uh, It's kind of like they're above the law somehow. It doesn't seem to have an effect on them. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind, and therefore pride is their necklace, and violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. In other words, they are just pushing through life, doing whatever. We would call this a God player. Someone who thinks they're God. Someone who acts like they're God. Someone who says they are above the law. They are above... um, 
God's commandments and they can live any way they choose or please because they choose or please it. That's this is what the psalmist is wrestling with. They scoff. There's that mocking thing and speak with malice loftily. They threaten oppression. They set their tongues against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Is that sound like today or what? Are their tongues strutting through our culture today are saying God's dead. It's over. It's done that we are so past that. Have you heard that before? We are so past that. And therefore his people, God's people turn back to them and they find no fault in them. What's going on here? Have have you ever heard a child say to his parent, but everybody's doing it. Have you ever had them say that? Why can't we do it? Everybody's doing it. And it's saying because the godless get away with it and it seems that they can act with impunity. In other words, there's no consequences for their sin. There's no consequences for the way they're acting. It says God's people actually start falling away because they look at, you know, being godly isn't the easiest thing in the world, right? When you try to be responsible to the Holy Spirit, that's pretty hard sometimes. And when you can just have a free-for-all, you know, which would you choose, discipline or a free-for-all? I choose the free-for-all in my flesh, right? I have to choose to operate in the Spirit, but the free-for-all looks like a lot of fun. It says, therefore, as people turn back to them and they find no fault, let's just do what they're doing. They're the leaders now. God's gone. We'll just follow them. That's kind of the attitude. And they say this, how can God know? There's too many people. There's 8 billion people on the planet. Come on, you think God's actually watching what I'm doing? He doesn't have time. He's not looking. He doesn't notice you. He doesn't notice me. We can get away with all kinds of crud because he can't possibly watch that many people. How does God know is the thought. Is there any knowledge with the Most High? This is actually a mocking accusation against the sovereignty of God. God can't know. There's no way possible. Not even God can know all that stuff, so we can get away with it. Behold, these are the wicked. They're always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. In other words, I am a miserable puppy. I am religiously ticked off. I'm peeved. I have other words for it. Can't say I'm in church. I don't like this. I'm not a happy camper. I have done the good thing. And the good thing stinks. Because I'm watching everybody else over there having a kicking good time. And it looks like they're winning. And I'm really upset, number one, that they're getting away with it. Number two, they seem to be winning over me. There's the key caveat again. And I don't like it. And I am starting to find fault with God. And I'm sick of getting stricken. I'm sick of the hard road. And I am sick of being rebuked by God for my sin when my sin looks very petty compared to what that looks like. And if they're going to get away with it, surely if God's not going to judge that, then he's not going to judge this. Okay, let's let her rip. Now, we would never say that outwardly, right? But I know you have thought that in your mind. I know that. And you know how I know that? Because I've thought that in my mind. All right? I identify with this song. I, I, I can understand the guy's point. And he goes on 
with this. Whoops. Sorry, let me back up here. My clicker isn't working here. It says this, if I had said, I will speak thus. In other words, thus, right? Sounds very King james Thusly, I will sayeth this, O Lord. Okay, that's what's he, what he's saying. If I would have talked like that, if I would have really actually done what was I was wrestling with in my heart, he said, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. And then he says, I discerned their end. It wasn't till he went into the presence of God that it started to all make sense. You can read the rest of the psalm. I'll, I'll leave it to you. You can go there this week and spend time and look at the rest of it and how it plays out. But he says, if I would have done that, I would have really been a fool. I would have really messed up. I would have really thrown away some precious stuff. I would have acted like an idiot. And it didn't make any sense to me whatsoever till I got into the presence of God. It says in his sanctuary. And then it made sense. Ah, that's the deal. And basically, if you want the rest of the psalm, they chose short-term gain for long-term pain. I chose short-term pain for long-term gain. You can read it for yourself, right? But we're talking about the incredible difference there that the Lord makes in wrestling with this. The third one that's, uh, I think, hard and we, we have to answer for is silence. Psalm 83 says, Oh God, do not remain silent. Do not turn a deaf ear. Do not stand aloof, aloof, O God. See how your enemies growl, how your foes rear their heads. In other words, he's saying they're like lions. They are powerful. They are vicious. They are attacking. We're watching it stack up. God, why aren't you doing something? God, why aren't you saying something? Are you deaf? That's really what the psalmist is saying there. Hello, are you deaf? Do you not even hear my prayers? Have you ever prayed and it felt like it just hit the ceiling and dropped right back to the floor? And you said, why pray anymore? God's not listening anyways. Okay? That's the whole form of mocking uh, comes from uh, the accusation that God's silent and he does not hear. Look at this plead, uh, plea for God to uh, interact. I get there. In Psalm 109, it says, My God, whom I praise, do not remain silent for people who are wicked and deceitful have opened their mouths against me and they have spoken against me with lying tongues. We live in a culture where the mouth is open and the lies are spewing forth. We are out media, we are out rhetoric, we are politic, okay? We, we are had. Have you felt this way? Have you listened to what the culture's saying? Have you watched MSN and the articles that come out and what they're talking about? Okay. Their mouths are open and they are growling. They have spoken with lying tongues. In return for my friendship, they accuse me, but I am a man of prayer. I.e., a lot of good that's doing me. They repay me evil for good and hatred for my friendship. And again, the question, where is your God, raises its ugly head. Your God doesn't seem to be doing too much. We don't really seem to need to be afraid of him. 
Where's the big man up in the sky? <laughs> Idiot. There is no big man up in the sky. He's not going to answer. He can't do anything. Not only can't he do anything, he won't do anything. You know why? Because he's not there. That's why. You heard that voice before? It's very effective in terms of going after. God, why are you silent? God, why don't you act? God, why don't you do something? Have you ever asked those questions of God? I think all of us have asked those questions of God. Okay, here's Scripture's answer. There's a good side to this, but I really wanted to paint it. Did I do a good job? Okay, thank you. I feel blessed. All right. Here's the good side of it. Here's Scripture's answer, all right? And we're going to walk through this. I'm going to give you a couple illustrations, but I, I want to really paint the other side, okay? Here's Scripture answer. Matthew says this, I am with you always to the very end of the age. In other words, it says God never grows tired. God never grows weary. He never lacks strength. He is always awake. We sleep. He does not. God is present and watching and he knows the heart of every person. You walk in this morning. I see you as I know you. That does not mean I know you. There may be a whole nother you that I don't know. Right? We know how that works. But God knows. And he says, look, I'm not going anywhere. When that baby was born in the manger, that was an announcement. I have come. And I'm not leaving anytime soon. I'm going to be here. And I'm going to be here for a long, long time. Whether you grow weary or not really doesn't matter because I'm not growing weary. I will be with you even till the end of the age. And here's the thing about the end of the age. If you read the word and you read scripture, you know that the end of the age, we would call it the end of the world, Armageddon, the coming kingdom of God against the kingdom of earth. It's not a good story. All right. It is not a good story. It is a very disastrous story for a whole lot of people. And I remind you again that Scripture says judgment will start with the church, not the world. God's going to purify the church first, then he goes after the world. And it says in Hebrews, you can check it out for yourself, if it's hard for the godly to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? God says, I'm not going anywhere. I'm here for a long, long time. I will be with you even until the end of the age. Now, I would suggest that he will be here even longer than that, right? But God wants us to know he's with us in 214. He'll be with us in 215. He'll be with it till the, as long as the calendar stretches out. He'll be with us in that. Hebrews says this, adds to it, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And so we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? And the answer to that is, well, actually quite a lot. All right, let's not be idiots and stupid here. All right, what can man do to me? Quite a lot. In comparison to God's protection, not much. But in comparison to human condition, quite a lot. If you don't think so, just read the stories about Germany in World War II. The Christians got mowed. Okay. 
They got mowed. But guess what? There's still a church. There's still a church standing. And anybody who tries to kill the church is in real trouble. Because then you're bucking against the Holy Spirit. That's a different game. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? They can accost us with very severe threats. We will take your job. We will take your family. We will take your possessions. We will take your life. They can throw that all out on the table. Right? We must trust his presence through all circumstances. The, the book of Daniel gives us a good blueprint on how we should uh, respond in these kind of circumstances. You know this story well. If you're new to the faith, you can find it in Daniel chapter 3. But there's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? The three guys. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar builds this 90-foot tall a statue, which you think 90 feet back in that, that's a big deal. And everybody was commanded when the, the musical instruments played to bow down and worship. Everybody did except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, uh, and, and interesting in that account, Daniel is not in that account. Nobody knows where Daniel was or why he wasn't there because he was second in the kingdom. But these three guys were co-governors in the kingdom. And, um, and so they blue and they didn't bend so then people said hey you king you've got some people who are rebellious they're against your system and they're they're going to cause everybody else to fall away and you've got to punish them and so they they got brought in front of nebuchadnezzar and he said look if you bow i'll reward you if you don't i will throw you into the fiery furnace and they said this if this uh they answered nebuchadnezzar we have no need to answer you in this matter If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. Notice, burning, fiery, like underscore, really hot. Okay? Not just the campfire. All right? And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image you have set up. That is a fantastic reply. And you know the rest of the story. Nebuchadnezzar grew furious with rage. Not good when the king grows furious with rage. Takeout time. And they got taken out. Matter of fact, the fire was so hot that when they threw them into the fiery furnace, the fiery burning furnace, the guys who brought them to the furnace to throw them in died from the heat. That's pretty hot. I don't know how hot that is. I don't know what kind of furnace it was. I just know I wouldn't want to be close to it. All right? And then Nebuchadnezzar looks in and says, did we not throw three men into the fire? And they said, yes, O king. And Nebuchadnezzar says, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. And I think my microphone just died. All right. That's good. Am I back, Dave? There we go. All right. I see four men unbound. In other words, the presence of God was with them through the fiery furnace. Now, in this case, they were saved. In other cases, believers died. If you read Hebrews, some conquered and did great things. Others were tortured and didn't want to be released because they desired a greater resurrection. Which will be our fate? We don't know. But in either case, we need to be ready to respond With this, know this world. Our God can rescue us if he wants to. But understand, we will not bow. So do do what you want to do. 
His presence is with us no matter how hot the fire. That's what I want to say this morning. His presence is with you no matter how hot the fire you're facing in your world right now. His presence is with you. He will never go away. He will be with you to the end of the age. The end of the age for you is when you die. For some of us, that's closer than others. All right? But he will be with you to the end of the age. So there's three promises of God's presence. Hey, Dave, can you click? There we go. My clicker's not working. Thanks. First of all, there's the promise of the presence of the Father. Now, you can go through the New Testament. You can go through the Old Testament and pull all these out. I just want to pull, I just put some highlights here. I want to show you the promise of the Father, the promise of the presence of the Son, and the promise of the presence of the Spirit. Second Corinthians says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. And I think that's important because he's not a harsh God who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Why do humans extend mercy to each other? Because they've received mercy. Where do most of us receive mercy from? Most of us receive mercy from the Father. Most of us know that Either outwardly, some of us more outward, many of us internally, should have got our butts kicked by our dad. Right? Let's put it in terms of human discipline. We blew it, we knew it, and we knew we were going to catch it. You ever had God be kind to you instead? Extend grace to you? All the heads are going like this right now. Yep, you can see it across the room. What does that tell you? God has been good to us. God has comforted us. Has God disciplined us? Yes, and rightfully so, as a good father would. But in that, he has brought comfort. And so there's the promise of the presence of the Father that when we go through trouble, and it says, who comforts us in what? Half our troubles? Is that what it says? Three quarters of our troubles. 96.7% of our troubles. How many? All. All. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may lift you up in due time. Due time is his time, not your time. Cast all your anxiety on him because why? He cares for you. He cares for us. All right? That's 1 Peter 5. Second is the promise of the the presence of the Son. There we go. 2 Corinthians, again, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. By the way, that's a great point, and it's a rabbit trail, but I'm going to take it. One of the ways you know how you are um, saved is if the inner anger, the inner hostility towards God is gone. And you say, well, Steve, how do you know that? I know that because this passage says God's greatest desire is to be reconciled with us. It means it's put at peace. We're not angry anymore. It says, reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not 
counting people's sins against them. That's this little baby that came on Christmas who turned out to be the man known as Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins, who rose again from the dead. That Jesus promises his presence with us if we'll reconcile with God. And what that means is that there's a problem. We are hostile in our natural nature towards God. By the way, sometimes we're hostile towards God in our Christian nature. You ever see angry Christians mumbling and grumbling and mad at God? They are just like the Israelites in the desert. I've been there a few times in my Christian life and and embarrassed as heck about it. How about you? You ever been an angry Christian grumbling and moaning at God? Where's your presence Scripture says Jesus reconciled on the cross. He died not counting our sins against. What kind of deal is that? That's one that I have grabbed with all my heart. Not counting people's sins. It's a ministry of reconciliation. The presence of the Son brings reconciliation. So think through your relationships. If you have a whole ton of unreconciled relationships, have you been in the presence of the Son. Maybe it's not all their fault. Maybe there's something you're doing that needs to be reconciled, and when it gets reconciled in the Son, suddenly then there's peace again. It's a great question. Lord, is it me? Jesus, is there something you need to change in me? By the way, when you pray, another rabbit trail, when you pray and say, God, that person really frustrates me, they irritate me to death, change them. Nine times out of ten, God comes back and says, good, can I start with you? You do not get it. Are you that clogged? Hello? Do you see the way they're acting? Do you see what they're doing? Right? You ever spit venom like? Sorry, Tim, spitting on you. God says, I know. Can I start with you? See, God always starts with the one who's most willing. And what he's calling the trump card there is, are you willing? Or or are both of you just hostile and you just want to win? All right, enough of that. Too much conviction. Let's move on. Dave, can you move it? Thanks. Okay, the promise of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Here's the one we're counting on and banking on. Going into 2.15, John 14, the promise says, And I will ask the Father, this is Jesus, And he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you. And what's the word there? Forever and ever. Hallelujah. Right? God's presence cannot be taken from us. When God seems really, really, really far away, when it seems really, really silent, like it seems he's not answering anything, guess where he is? Right next to you. Nine times out of ten, you know what you have to do in that? You just have to be still and know that he's God. Because he didn't go anywhere. And it's a faith article. Nine times out of ten, in my world, I have to stop. Trust me, I hit very confusing things. I hit things that overwhelm me. I have uh, quit a hundred million times already from the pulpit of Northview because I can't face the things I'm faced with the questions people ask me. And then I just have to stop and say, okay, time out. You're right here. By faith, whether I sense you or not, it has nothing to do with my feelings. You are right here. That's what I can count on. Now, how would you like me to respond? And invariably, I'll get the right answer when I do that. I will ask the Father, and he'll give you 
another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. Over and over again, the Holy Spirit is listed as the spirit of truth. So in order to be in relationship, to be in the presence of the spirit of truth, we have to quit lying. Why shouldn't we lie? Because God doesn't lie. Lying is the language of hell. Truth is the language of heaven. God does not lie, neither should we. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. That's how we know we sin. How did you know you sinned this week? Because the Holy Spirit told you you did. Why did you repent? Because the Holy Spirit told you you should. If you didn't repent, why are you miserable? Because you didn't cooperate with the Holy Spirit. It's not magic. Pretty simple. By the way, you know what revival is? We, we want revival. Revival is really nothing more than fresh repentance. If you think about it, it's relining up with what God originally asked me to do. The presence of the Holy Spirit is always with us forever. Here's the last one, and uh, we'll close with this. There is a warning. Although his presence is always with us and will be with us in the age, there are numerous warnings in the Bible to seek God while he may be found. There are seasons when you can find him. There are seasons when you can draw close to him. There are seasons that you can't. And what I mean by that, well, let me read here uh, for you. This is... um, in the Psalms again, Psalm 3, 6 or 7. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. And we know that song is you are my hiding place. And it's a, a, a great uh, hymn for us and that kind of stuff. But then it says this, Selah. And Selah means pause, stop. Consider that. What that means is, think about it. There are times when you can reach God. There are times when you can't. The Bible says, now's a great time to get close to him while you can because you can't go from zero to 60 in your faith. You can't not walk with him forever and then all of a sudden crisis hits and go, oh, okay, I believe, I believe, I believe, I'm there, I'm in, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm in, right? It doesn't work that way. Crises, catastrophes, don't wait for your invitation for them to happen. Have you noticed that? You cannot dictate when catastrophe will happen. You have to be prepared for them before they come. That's why the Bible says, walk with them always. So, for example, let me illustrate this to you. If the rapture were to happen right now, ping, hello, and I'm not a big rapture person. I'm a pan trib, right? You got pre, mid, and post. I'm pan. In the end, it will all pan out. <laughs> I know all the positions for pre. I know all the positions for mid. I know all the, the positions for post. I know all the scriptures they all use. And you know what it is? They all use the same scriptures. Hello. And what that means is God's free to do what he wants. But think about it. If the rapture were to happen, if that's a true event, and it really happened. That's not good news if you're sinning. Right? If you secretly sinned this week, you went and did something bad, and you know it, and you're sitting there guilty conscience, and the rapture, that's not good news. You don't have time to get it together. You can't go, ah, hang on, let me pray before you zip me up. Hello? 
Is that going to work? No. The Bible's encouragement here is, let, therefore let everyone who's godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. There are times when God can be found. There's times when it's too late. Remember the, the parable of the ten virgins? The Irish uh, in uh, the Celtics had a saying of thin places, places where it, it, it was easy to draw close to God. There were times like that. And what, what stirred my thinking on this is, uh, I don't know if you, did you notice this week was the 10th anniversary of the uh, Indonesian tsunami that happened? That's 10 years ago. Can you believe that? I was like, what? 10 years ago? Over 250,000 people died in that. And my, the, the, the most startling image in my mind of that tsunami was there's a video f- tape of the tsunami and the, before the tsunami hits, the water rushes out. You have seen that? And these people are running down the beach. Uh, this one guy in particular, the young teenage kid, goes running down to the beach and I looked and went, he's dead and he doesn't even know it. Because within seconds, that wave came back. And let me tell you, when a 50-foot wall of water hits, you don't have time to get your act together. You have had to have your act together before that. Now, we're not so much in danger of a tsunami in the northwest. How about an earthquake? Are you going to have time to get your act together if a major earthquake hits? No. You've got to get it together now. You've got to be in his presence. That's why next week we're going to talk about cultivating his presence because I think that's an important thing. That's why the Bible says cultivate your relationship with him now while he may be reached. And part of that is just asking, if if you don't know him, it's asking him into your life. You know what, Lord Jesus, I put that off for a long time. I've never let you in. And I know you've called out to me. I know you've reached out to me. But I have been stubborn and I've been resistant because I've liked it. I've wanted to do it my own way. Nobody would know because I look good. But I know I've not yielded to you. And this morning you might say, you know what, Lord? In light of this, I need to ask you into my life. Now is the time. Now is the acceptable day. If today you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as Hebrews says. Lord Jesus, would you come into my life? Would you come into my heart? I need to be saved because if something happened, I know I would not be ready. If the rapture hit, I'd be sitting here. If a catastrophe hit, I wouldn't be in a good place with you because I know I'm not saved. It's as simple as, Lord Jesus, I humble myself before you and ask that you would come into my life, forgive me of my sins, cleanse me of my sins, and start a relationship where I walk in your saving presence. Let's pray. Father, as we uh, walk through these things, um, you can feel the force of it in the room, Lord. You can feel the force of your thoughts on us, recognizing we're up against something much bigger than ourselves. Lord, um, There is a lot of mocking. There's a lot of discrepancy. There's a lot of silence. But may we not make the mistake of thinking that you're not here. May you help us be still, know that you're God. May we cast all our anxiety on you. Lord, may we know your presence is with us forever and walk in that accordingly as we enter into 215, 
And we seek you for that in your name. Amen.